All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Uh, so I got two goals today. Goal number one is that you would come home to the Father. Goal number two is that you wouldn't leave during the service and go jump in the water slide. <laughs> That's the goal. High and lofty, I know. One is for sure guaranteed. The second, I don't know. Uh, today's one of those days where like, I wish I was a kid. And I'm like, whose idea was this? Like, why didn't we do this after the service so I could partake? But um, again, just a reminder, if you have uh, a child that's in Conduit Kids, not the nursery, but like the actual uh, program with the Conduit Kids, you're going to pick them up all at once after the service. You can exit and walk around, and they'll be ready for pickup at the end. Uh, lots to cover today. Um, this summer we've been uh, focusing, our theme is summer fun. And summer fun is these events that are happening. There's three of them all throughout the city of Jamestown. Uh, the second one is this coming Friday. It's going to be amazing. want to make sure that you're there. want to make sure that you're a part of what's happening. We sure need your help. Um, we need people there just talking to people, making connections. If you could do nothing else, if you could come for a half an hour and do that, that would be an amazing thing. So these events have been so fun. It's been such a great opportunity to serve uh, this city. But it's also about what's happening in here on, on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. About summer fun is theming on life, family, and relationships. And so we've hit a lot of different subjects. We've hit a lot of different perspectives and all kinds of things regarding my God, myself, and my people. That ultimately the focus is that it's His glory, my joy, and their behalf. There's this flow that happens between God and you and you and others. And it's this beautiful thing. Now, we kind of have been diving in every week and getting a different perspective on relationships. Um, because relationships aren't always easy. Can I get an amen? Right? Whether they're family, friends, neighbors, strangers, enemies, other people in cars trying to get in front of you, going way too slow, or I don't consider myself OCD until I'm in the passenger seat of a car. Anybody, any control freaks in there? Like, you're not going fast enough. You're going too fast. I feel like, thank you, Lord, for this oh crap handle that you've created in this car that I can hang on to and like there's this control aspect and so different angles of relationship puts tension and so we believe very strongly that the word of God is all about relationship because he is all about relationship and so we live our lives in these relationships but yet when we have issues in our relationships the last place sometimes we run is to God's word which is perfect, which is true, which is alive and active in our lives. And so this is an opportunity this summer to pause uh, where we were at in our teaching and just to focus simply on relationship. So just to review a little bit, it's about to get crazy in here. Uh, week number one, we said that like we've got all these relationships in our life that we know, and how many of you would raise your hand if you agree with this, like you know that person has got to change. Yeah? Raise your hand if you got some of those relationships. All right? And then, and then the whole question is strategy, especially whether guys or girls and how we're, we're wired differently and how God's gifted us and our strengths and experiences. Like, we automatically strategize, like, how are we going to change them? 
How are we going to, like, they need to change, and, like, it's my job to do this. Well, it's not your job to do this. However, God wants to use your relationship to bring about his change in his, their life. And it happens through love. And it happens through grace. And it happens through mercy. And the thing is, is it may not happen at all. But God loves to use his people. And so we said the first week that relationship is the currency for change. Relationship is the currency for change. Oh, look out! Oh, man! Not a good start! Marilyn, I'm so sorry! Oh! <laughs> that was bad! Speaking of relational conflict, I have this new friend named Marilyn, and I just ruined that relationship. Alright, let's try this again. Wow! So sorry. Alright. Look alive, folks. Look alive. <laughs> Alright, so. Wrong one. So God wants to use these relationships to bring about through love and grace and mercy and truth and boundaries and firmness and gentleness. He wants to bring change in their life. This is the thing. We said that God, what God wants to do to the people will happen through his people. What God dreams of this city changing, which we see the news, we see the destruction in our world, our country, and even our own city, and maybe even our own street. And we want it to change. And we know that the way it will change is through relationship that God will use. What he wants to do is he, to change the people. He wants to use his people. God is sovereign. Sometimes he'll use you, sometimes he'll use nobody but himself in some miraculous supernatural ways. But your job, your mission, is that what God wants to do to the people will happen through his people. Are you ready? Let's try small. Yes! Woo! All right, cool. Now, when we reach out, when we go on mission, when we extend the hand to receive people, when we go after them, sometimes it's not that easy, right? Relationship is a powerful thing. And, in, and maybe for you in your life, um, in, I know there's been, uh, we're not all goofballs all the time here. Like sometimes th there's this perspective that relationship has caused some deep, deep wounds in our lives. Because when we choose to love, when we choose to receive, it's the analogy, as I shared with my friend in fifth grade when he told us about his first kiss, when he leaned in for the kiss, he ended up kissing the bottom of her neck on accident, on accident, because she whipped away. She's like, what are you doing? And it got awkward. He literally leaned in for the kiss and fell on his face. And in every relationship in our lives, when we lean in, when we extend grace, when we serve them, when we love them, when we give out of our own pocket to them, we lean in for the kiss. And I know that you and I know that myself included have leaned in times and we've fallen on our face. And so we say that relationship is exposure to all the elements of life and death. R relationship is exposure to all the elements of life and death. Many of you have experienced death, darkness, through the relationships in your life. Coworkers, 
parents, brothers, sisters, neighbors. But the beautiful picture of the gospel is that Jesus ultimately leaned in to us. He came to lean in. So that when we lean into God, when we lean into Jesus, there's this opportunity that we will never be forsaken. We will never fall on our face. We will never be completely embarrassed before holy God, even through intimacy with Him, because we see that He's already leaned in. And even though that I'm exposed, He loves me. Even though I'm a sinner, He has come to save me. He's come even though He's died, He's given me life. And his resurrection has given me a resurrection. And so we see that all the elements are exposed to life and death. This is your life. This is your emotion. This is your love. This is your time. This is your money. All that's invested in relationship it can be absolutely exposed to the death. But here's the picture. If it doesn't work out here, if there's been absolute death and destruction here, understand that ultimately you're to lean to the one who can, will never forsake you, never let you down, and will always bring life to any situation, rather, no matter what you've done or what you've said or what you've experienced or what's actually maybe even been afflicted on you as a victim. What's happened here in relationship will never happen here. And God desires you to be exposed to all the elements of life. All right, Marilyn, this one's for you. Are you ready? Oh, no, that's a bad throw. Look out! Okay, cool. Now, what happens when, when we get in this relationship and we lean in and there's this, we see that God leans into us and there's this amazing thing that happens called intimacy. Relationship is the bridge to intimacy. You know and I know that intimacy cannot happen outside of relationship. And so there's this whole like discussion, this whole culture regarding specifically the last two weeks we've been talking about sex. We've been talking about sex and the beautiful picture inside the boundaries of marriage, which boundaries is laughable because it's still this beautiful picture of freedom and hope and fulfillment and satisfaction that's given in the marriage to give us ultimately, ultimately in all the appropriate ways of what the intimacy with the Father is like. So intimacy is this. Intimacy is to fully know and to be fully known. And so relationship is that bridge to intimacy. Man, what's with the lights? Look out! I did it again in the same spot! I'm so I gotta stop this. Intimacy is to fully know and to be fully known. Ready, baby? Yes! All right. So in a marriage, in a relationship, in a co-worker relationship, in that intimate level, you know them. You can tell them things that you can be completely naked or exposed metaphorically, and they don't judge you. They know everything about you that's even the dark stuff, and like they still love you anyways. That is the picture of the gospel, the ultimate intimacy with God as he sees you for all that you are and all that you've done and all that you will do. And he loves you, radically loves you. He's crazy about you anyways. 
but he knows that you can't stay that way because it's not true joy. It's not true happiness. So he wants you to experience his glory in the fullness of holiness that only comes through his son, Jesus. And so when we surrender our life in intimacy with him, we're absolutely exposed to the gospel of Jesus, which says, I'm not good enough, but he was perfect. And belief in him sets me free. And now a holy God and a sinful man can now be intimate because of what Jesus did. And now I can know God. I can pray to God regardless of what I've done even this week. I can come to the advocate, which is Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, which he sent to comfort, which he sent to bridge to, to us. And he's made intimacy happen. And when intimacy happens, things heat up. And when things heat up, everything changes. All right, good. We ended on a good note. All right. So there's this beautiful thing when intimacy happens. There's this thing that, that, that we're exposed to with God when he fully knows, because like, he already knows us anyways. And David talks about how he knows our thoughts from afar off before we even think them. That's crazy. God has made us. He's wired us. Not so that he can squash us. He's made us to be with him. The first idea is not he made us as sinners. He made us perfect and holy as Adam and Eve in the garden is the beautiful picture of the gospel is that they had true intimacy. They had this picture of wholeness with God, walking with God, knowing God, being completely naked and not ashamed. And we, we have stiff-armed God. We have chose to leave home. And so even from back in Adam and Eve, the design in Genesis 3 is the first opportunity that God says, even though it's your fault, and even though you're dead, I'm going to fix this. Have you ever had somebody do that? You've completely screwed it up. You've completely messed it up. And they have no blood on their hands, but yet they get right in your face. And they say, we're going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. Everything's going to be okay. I got this. That's what God did to us back in Genesis. He's like, I'm going to restore it all. That someday I'm going to send a once for all sacrifice. That someday he would save it all. And that ultimately through faith in him, trust in him, and when eternity comes, it will all be restored back to its original state. And even now, our souls, by faith, in trust, can in our heart bring heaven to earth because of what Christ has done in us, what the Holy Spirit filling us does. But someday, our bodies, this earth, groans for restoration to come. But restoration of our souls and our lives and sin has been quenched through the power of the cross. And that intimacy has brought this beautiful thing that happens. With God first. And then with those relationships, second. So that brings us to today. Every week, we've used this table since the first week as a centerpiece. A table where you come together and you have these things. You come to the table. Think about every relationship that started, whether friendship or or neighbors, or whatever it is, you brought yourself to a table for coffee, you brought yourself to the table to share a meal, you brought yourself to the table to experience some type of transaction from 
eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee, toe to toe. And today is certainly no different. Last week, when we, last two weeks, when we talked about sexual intimacy, it was dressed up like this romantic, beautiful, bounce-chicka-wow-wow kind of table. All right? In that environment produces the opportunity for intimacy. That intimacy doesn't happen because of the candles. That intimacy doesn't happen because of the great meal or the beautiful table. The intimacy happens because of the relationship, because of the humility, because of the grace, because of the mercy, because of the love that God has brought together in a marriage. And even how that flows in all the appropriate ways of your friendships, your coworkers, and your family. It's a beautiful thing. But you know, and I know, <laughs> that this table is not always a beautiful table. It's not always a place where you come hunky-dory and you share a meal and you, you create intimacy and you celebrate relationships. Sometimes these tables are used to resolve conflict. And so for the next two weeks, what I'd like to talk about is conflict. You thought talking about sex was awkward. <laughs> conflict is on the forefront of our minds. Who today, in your mind, in your heart, there's a conflict? Maybe it's present and active. Maybe it happened this morning on your way to church, because, yeah, that's when sometimes things break loose, right? Maybe it's something a week ago, six weeks ago. Maybe it was something year, decades ago. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's not your fault. Maybe you're a victim. Of, but however it is that there's this table that's representing today conflict. And we'll get a little bit more into that. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you need a Bible, would you please raise your hand and just hold it up. We got plenty of them. We want you to read, be able to see this. You're going to need this. You're going to need to see this. I'm sorry. So just keep your hand up. We'll make sure you get... A Bible, Luke 15, and if somebody could yell out the page number when you get there, that'd be super helpful. 568. Awesome. What I'd like you to do is when you get to Luke 15, start in verse 11, and I want us to give you, like we've done the last few weeks, I just want to give you the opportunity to just take a few moments and read that on your own. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. This is a story that Jesus parable that Jesus tells, just take a few moments and read through that.
Father, as we, as we read through this, we know that conflict is, is it's sure, it's sure a touchy one. It's one that many of us either completely ignore. Maybe conflict is something that we run away from, hide from, pretend it doesn't exist. Or maybe conflict is something that we've used by control to the relationships in our lives because we can yell louder, we can withhold certain things, we can put sanctions on certain people. So maybe we've abused it. And I just ask that that in these next two weeks that we would ultimately see what conflict resolution, what conflict resurrection looks like in our lives. And God, I ask right now that you'd give these people, it's so hard to talk about these issues because I know that there's people in this room that have been abused. I know that there's people in this room that have been inflict it's been inflicted on them things through conflict that they like they they maybe can't patch with the person. Maybe the person's gone or maybe the person has passed or maybe the person's not in proximity or maybe they shouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. But what you want to do in their heart and what you want them to believe ultimately is your heart. So God, I ask that today in this short next 25 minutes that you would help us see the heart of God, the heart of you, and how we are to deal with conflict. See how you dealt with conflict. And it, it would radically surrender us to the power of your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that wants to bring change to everything. So God, I just gently ask for your Holy Spirit today to not just get us excited about what conflict can be, but help us to respond in an obedient and joyful way that reward comes from trusting you, from yielding to ourself. As Pastor Ben says, yielding to our flesh so that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit can speak. So I just ask for your strength in this and give these guys discernment as we deal with the relationships in our life. But ultimately today, help us to see how you've dealt with conflict when it comes to us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, that we trust, that we know that you're alive. Amen. So we bought this house about a year ago. And one of the greatest perks of this, this house is not the house. One of the greatest perks of this house is this creek that runs through our backyard or by our backyard. And, and I grew up playing in creeks and stuff, and it was always like these muddy places that you couldn't walk away like clean. But the thing about this creek, it's so great because it's all filled with these boulders, these river rocks. And it's such a beautiful time, like, and it changes constantly, this creek does, because you've got hills on both sides. And so anytime it rains, 
Anytime like there's any light rain or heavy rain, this creek changes. And today what I'd like to do is just create a simple analogy in your mind of what a relationship is supposed to be like. That that relationship is supposed to be like this creek. That even in conflict, that even in conflict, that there's a, a natural flow to it. So I was studying and reading and, and seeing like anything from Proverbs 4.23 that talks about that guarding your heart because out of it flows. Be vigilant with your heart because out of it flows all the issues of life. Your heart, your heart matters. Your heart is everything because it doesn't just, your heart controls your mind and your mind controls your heart and your mind and your heart, they control your actions. They control everything. But knowing the right heart is essential to dealing with conflict. Or seeing Proverbs 27, 5 of having to deal with conflict. And that open rebuke is better than hidden love. And as I read Scripture and as I see the relationships that take place anywhere from Adam to Eve to Cain and Abel to Abraham and Isaac, all, Joseph, all throughout, all the prophets, all the Old Testament, all the New Testament, Jesus and His disciples, the mother Mary, and how she, her and Joseph dealt with this situation. Every relationship, conflict came. And if you're in any relationship, you know and I know that conflict is absolutely inevitable. It's going to happen. And maybe today it's happening. My heart in the next two weeks is to be able to talk about some practical ways. But before we get to the practical ways, my goal today is for you to simply understand the heart of God and how we are to deal and assess and be changed when conflict comes. This, this creek that runs is a beautiful place for, for my, my boys and for, my, for, my daughter, for our kids to, to do different stuff with these rocks. Like we've built dams and we've put the rocks so high when the creek wasn't flowing where it literally it stopped the flow of this creek for a moment. And maybe these rocks represent conflict. Yet, they are absolutely hard as a rock. They're absolutely in the way. They will absolutely cause damage. And maybe for you, in relationship, that conflict has been built up so much that it stops the relationship. No flow goes through. And some of you have walked away from relationships because of that. So much more I want to get into that regard. But there's a difference between actions that are different and actions that are wrong. We base it on the truth of Scripture, but maybe there's relationships in our life like they, did, like they just do it differently based on the, how God's wired them, based on how they're experienced, based on like the resources or not resources, like all that. Maybe they may do it different, and we've labeled it as wrong, and we've built these rocks to be like, if you're going to do it that way, I'm out of here, rather than coming to the table called conflict and talking it through, sharing your heart and walking even away Agreeing to disagree. Seeing the truth of Scripture. Seeing the truth that there is absolute truth. But you're different and not wrong. And so in this creek, we build up things and we literally, we call it a dam. And maybe you're in that spot where things have built up and you're like, damn. And you've condemned it 
Like, I'm kind of being funny, but I'm being serious too. You've condemned it. You've said, damn, this thing is done. I'm walking away. It's built up so much. This conflict has taken over. But I would argue too, if you've ever been whitewater rafting, or if you've ever seen this kind of creek flow, when the water rushes over those rocks, it is beautiful. And so I would argue that through Scripture, through any, all this studying, like it's, like it's, there's so much I want to say, but I would argue that a healthy relationship is not the absence of conflict. A healthy relationship is not the absence of conflict. Oh, you don't argue? You don't fight? Well, I would argue that there's something wrong if you don't come to the table of conflict. Because you got an issue, and you got an issue, and you're going to Susie and Sarah and all these people, and you're telling them about their issue rather than coming to the table. It's okay. There's rocks in the creek. It makes it beautiful. So today's tagline, today's frisbee, so to speak, is this. When things get rocky... There's an opportunity for beauty. When things get rocky, there's an opportunity for beauty. A healthy relationship is not the absence of conflict. A healthy relationship is the pathway built for conflict to be resolved. Have you had a conflict with somebody and like somehow in God's grace, you are so much closer now? Have you been in that spot? Because of humility, because of grace, because of mercy and the forgiveness that you offer one another based on what had happened in that conflict. Maybe it's 90% your fault. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's 90% their fault. Whatever it is, there's this beautiful thing that happens in conflict. So when things get rocky, there's an opportunity for beauty. Ultimately, God, in this flow of our relationship, we have made the relationship, rocky. And even back in Genesis 3, and it echoes the Gospel all through the Old Testament, and when He comes, the Messiah, the once-for-all sacrifice comes. And now He's come, and now we celebrate it through the cross. He's given His life for us. Whether past, present, or even future, we celebrate the fact that Jesus has said, things are rocky, but there's an opportunity for beauty, and someone's got to die, and I'll let that be me. So I could be with you. God says, things are rocky. I'm going to send my only son, my beloved son, whom I literally would have to turn my back on so that I can now be with you guys. God has done that. He's made a way for this to happen. Of all the stories and all the parables and all the things that we could talk about, Jesus, I believe, uses the story of the prodigal son to talk about conflict. This is like my favorite story. And I love this story because it starts out and it says, there was a man who had two sons. And we call it the prodigal son. But if you read close and you look at the context of the other parables, there's two lost sons. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture of the heart of God. Why did Jesus tell this story? Is He wanted us, He wanted them in that day through the, the lens of Jewish culture, they understood that this Jesus was talking about His Father. Jesus was talking about His Father's heart. So He says this Father had two sons. And imagine it being a farm 
And on this farm, these boys worked hard day in and day out. And this older boy, man, he used to, he just like, how many of you like an older sibling? The oldest sibling, like, they like nail it every time. How many of you are the youngest sibling? Okay, so you can sympathize with me. And like you see, they're like, they're always, they get to drive the car first, they get to stay up later, they get all these privileges, what do I get, right? And we become entitled because of that. And so one day, the younger son goes to the father and he sits at the table of conflict on their front porch. And he says to his father, he says, Dad, I feel trapped. I need out. There's, the grass is greener on the other side. Something else is over there. And he says, Dad, I'm better off with you dead. Give me half my inheritance that's going to come to me. And I'm out of here. And his father, being a good father, he gave his son one of the greatest gifts, choice. Yes, the father was absolutely supreme in his sovereign control, but yet he, in the moment, he made his son understand and realize and live out this thing called choice, and he gave his son half his inheritance. And immediately the son walks away from the table thinking he's so happy, so fulfilled, not even thinking about the heart of the father who stayed sitting there for hours. And every night when he was done with his work, would sit at that chair at the table of conflict and he'd look off the front porch and he couldn't wait for his son to come home. But the son was chasing his dream. The dream of self-discovery. The dream of absolutely finding himself through the ways of the world and all that it has to offer. So he goes, in the, in the Word, Jesus says that he squandered all that he had in a distant, far country. He lived riotously, he lived wild. He lived in a wild way that like literally, he drew, because misery loves company. And he loved like the people that came around him because he could throw the parties he wanted. He could fulfill every sexual or physical desire or whim that he's ever dreamed of that he couldn't necessarily at home. But even in that, he was absolutely miserable. So he sought more. He sought to seek through finding himself he was absolutely empty because in ourselves we can't find anything of any worth. But it's through the heart of the Father is where we see our true value that we can truly live and live our life to its abundance, to its fullness of what the, the heart of the Father can give to us. And things got bad. It says Jesus said that the famine came. So it stopped raining. Things stopped growing. So he had to get a J-O-B. Do you feel like that sometimes? It's like I'm so hot. <laughs> so he had to get a J-O-B. So he found a farm. He's like, I got this. I, I know how to do it. Like, I know my money's out, but like, I'm going to make this work. He's got nothing. He's desperate, but he's still, he's, he's like literally hell-bent on, I'm going to make this work. How many of us get into that spot? We've got nothing. We're so empty. We're so desperate. We're so dry. There's a famine in our heart, but yet we say we got to get set our alarm and get up and keep going. 
It doesn't matter that we're lost. It doesn't matter that we're so far from home, but we keep convincing ourselves that it's got to keep working. i got to keep going. And you become deeper and deeper and deeper, deeper, farther, farther, farther from home, farther from the heart of the Father. Now, I know metaphorically that even this analogy is tough. You talk about relationship is exposure to all the elements of death and life. Use the analogy of a father relationship. I know that that's real. And even in this story, Jesus is telling, he's bringing conflict to the sinner. He's bringing it, he's not treating it as if it doesn't exist. He's bringing the elephant in the room to say regardless of what father has done to you on this earth. There is an everlasting Father that's wooing your heart, that dreams for you, that hopes for you, that will never let you down. And even in the depths of His despair and being so far from home, He knew the Father's love to the point where things got so bad. It says that He was getting ready to feed the pig and I have two pigs at my house. So I understand this story a little bit deeper. Um, I hate those things. Just telling you right out. They've been the stress of my life. Like they, they're big and they're fat and they're mean and they bite my kids and they, like they stink. Like they're supposed to be clean, right? And like you just take, and I know, I'm, I know don't judge me, all right? Don't judge me. Like you better farmers than me. Like, I'm learning, but what I've learned so far is that I'm not very good at that part. And that these things, like, I can't wait to eat them. Like, I can't wait. It's going to be this beautiful moment where bacon comes. And you think, you think, like, okay, let's get some pigs, because you're not thinking of the process. You're thinking of bacon, right? And bacon will come. Why, why am I talking about this? Oh, oh, so like, when you give them food, and you give them this space to live, like, they, they kind of mix it all. And it becomes this disgusting mess. And, like, I literally, I can, like, smell it and taste the disgusting nature of these animals. And yet, it was so bad. He was so far from home. He was so hungry. He was so lost that he, in this moment, got down and he put his hand in the pig slop. And he began to bring it to his mouth. And then, everything changed. He had, as the word says, he came to himself. He had an aha moment. The light bulb went off. And what happened? Did he think like, oh yeah, I should just slaughter these pigs and make bacon? No, 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 no. He didn't like say, what can I do to like make this, this dream keep going? What can I do to conjure up like, oh, that self-discovery is complete nothingness? No, 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 no. He immediately thought about the heart in the home of the Father. He immediately remembered that even the servants back at the farm, back home, had all they could ever need. And he repented. He realized his desperate need for the heart of the Father. He needed the love that he can offer. And he got up. And he walked home. And as he's walking home, Jesus said he's practicing his I'm sorry speech. 
He's like, I'm going to tell my dad, I'm no, I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. And as he's practicing this speech the entire way home, he's thinking, what can I do to be accepted? What can I do to be loved? What can I do to make this right? All while the father every night sits in his chair at this table and he dreams at the end of the road over the hill. He dreams and he prays longing for the, the son to come home. He dreams of the head popping up over the hill and him walking home until the day it happened. He longed for his son. Regardless of the son totally sold him out, his son totally stiff on him, his son totally says, I'm better off with you dead. Give me all that I'm owed. And that day when he sees his son rising over the hill and his son's head is hanging in shame, the father jumps off the porch and he runs down the road. And the son sees this. And I often wonder, like, is, it, is the son wondering, like, like, is he chasing after me? Like, he's finally going to catch up to me? Is he going to squash me like the bug? And then he realizes he's a, the, the look on his father's face. And now it's growing a crowd. All the servants and all the people on the farm are looking and they're seeing like, whoa, we haven't seen that guy run in years. And here he is running after his boy. And the son just stops. And the father runs faster. And they embrace. And the word says that he kisses his son, he says to his dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm so sorry. That was so wrong. And his dad interrupts him with more kisses. His dad interrupts him with embracing him tighter. And he just says, welcome home. And the son goes even deeper to talk about how bad and how wretched and how wicked he is. And the father knows it, but yet he's not addressing it. In fact, he's fixing it. He says to his son, we are going to fix this. And he says, bring a robe for his back. Bring a ring for his finger. Bring the shoes for his feet. Kill the fatted calf, because we are going to party. He says to his son, you're not only embraced by my arms, but you're covered in all that I have. In the righteousness and the goodness of the heart of the Father. He says, I'm going to give you the ring on my hand which says that you're my son. You're not some hired servant. You're my boy and you have come home and you are now royalty. Give me shoes for your feet that you no longer have to walk on the bare feet and be exposed to the dirt because you're my boy and I'm going to take care of you. Regardless of what you've done, you are received. You are loved. He says, kill the fatted calf. We're going to party. We're going to celebrate. Throw up the tent. Like, things are about to change because my boy who was lost is now found. My boy who was dead is now alive. And they partied. They celebrated. And I love how Jesus tells this story because it's hard for us as Americans to maybe see this perspective. We miss this. But I believe in that day when Jesus told that story, the Jewish culture understood exactly what he was talking about. 
And we don't have time to get into it, but the, 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 the parable of the, the prodigal son is surrounded by other parables. And in those parables, Jesus somehow is in the center of the story. And they're wondering, like, where is he going with this? And we read this, and we're talking about, like, this, this son coming home, like, Hollywood perspective, like, yay, he's home, party, like, let the credits roll, cue the music, it's party time, woohoo, what a great movie. But then all of a sudden, Jesus talks about something we forgot, the older brother. The older brother finishes his day of work and he comes home. And as he rises over the hill and he walks home, he sees the dancing. He sees the party. He hears the music. And he asks one of the servants, Jesus says, what's this, what's this about? And the servant, with great joy, says to him, your brother, he's home. He's safe. He's been received. And now we're celebrating. He was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. And then he walks away, the servant does. And this, the older brother is ticked. He begins to ponder all that he had done. And the dad, knowing the, father, or knowing the son's hearts, he knew his one boy was there, but he felt like something was missing. And so eventually he went out to find his other boy. And he saw now the older brother completely upset, angry, and his son says to him, I have worked for you every day. I have stayed faithful and I've done all of these things. And you have never thrown a party by killing the fatted calf or goat or anything by that matter for me and my friends. And the father in his heart shares with the son, the older brother, that your brother, he was lost and now he's found he's dead and now he's alive. And then the story stops. It's one of those movies where all of a sudden the credits start to roll. And you're like, no, 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 it can't end this way. Are you serious? Like, no, bring the credits back down. Like, let's redo this. That was a horrible movie. Like, no way, it cannot stop this way. And Jesus leaves this parable hanging. And I think for us it's hard to see the purpose in the, why didn't you bring that guy in there? Why did you even bring that table of conflict where literally the brother has come and he's disapproving? He doesn't understand not only like where his brother's been, he doesn't even care. All he cares about is himself and his friends, it says. That you didn't throw a party for me and my friends. And as he discusses this with the father, 
He literally can't understand it. That he's, even his own brother being found, he misses the point. And he begins to run up the porch and he now sees this table of conflict because he remembers when the other brother, when the younger brother stiff-armed his father. And now all of a sudden, the older brother feels stiff-armed and he literally takes the, the table of conflict and he throws it. The very thing. Sorry, that was not meant to do that. The very thing that was supposed to bring beauty, even in conflict, has now been broken. Conflict is now not even, we're not even talking about this. Forget you, dad. Forget this party. Forget my brother. Forget everybody. And now the story ends with two sons who were lost. Jesus is saying something here. Listen close. In Jewish culture, there, let me stop and say, there's this book by a, a guy named Tim Keller, and he writes this book called Prodigal God. If you ever uh, you read books, that's a great one to read. And I love, he says something here in regards to the older brother that I just think is the heart behind of why Jesus told this story. And he says that in Jewish culture, if, this young, if there was two sons and the younger brother did that, the older brother would not have stayed. The older brother would have left the farm. He would have left everything that he's supposed to be doing because it was people over paper. It was like the relationship of his brother and how he was lost would have been found first. So the whole idea, guys, listen, is that Jesus was saying that, that he, that Jesus was the older brother. Jesus was the true older brother who would have left the farm and he would have left all his comfort and he would have came and would have found the rebel younger brother. And Jesus, if he's talking like challenging anybody, he's challenging the religious. He's saying that the older brothers, is the, they're the church people. They're the people that think if I wear this, if I give this, if I put my butt in the pew here, if I, if I just work a certain way and I'm moral enough, and if I'm nice enough, and if I'm not like those rebels that have just squandered all day, if I get my crap together, then God, then the Father will accept me. And Jesus is saying that you're just as lost as them. The acceptance of the Father is already there. The Father loves His boys. The price has already been paid. And Jesus is saying that he is the older brother that's true, that would have left. And that Jesus did leave all the comfort of heaven. He left all that even his father had given him. And even the very presence of his father. The brother, the older brother in the story, he would have had to leave the heart of the father in order to seek the son. To seek the brother, excuse me. And Jesus did that. Jesus left even the very presence of his holy father so that he could save the younger brother, you. The message here is that regardless of how rebellious and far from home we feel, or to you that feels that you've done everything right, you've kept the commandments, you're an upstanding citizen, Jesus is saying that you're both lost.
But the good news is that the heart of the Father has made a way for you to be with Him. He's made a way for you to have hope. Come home. Because the story ends with the Father telling the older brother to come home, even if he's feet away. Come home. Who are we to think because someone looks different, has a different lifestyle than us, that they're any less lost than we are apart from Jesus? Jesus makes all things level. Jesus makes all things new so that it's by the very name of Jesus that every knee will bow and that every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Not that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess how awesome they are, how righteous they were, and how good they nailed it in this thing called life. But they would surrender to the heart of the Father who ultimately longs for the best who ultimately longs through your heart, who ultimately looks over the hill and He can't wait for you to come home. He can't wait for you to walk home and not practice your I am sorry speech or how horrible you are at an altar kind of speech. He wants your life. He wants your hope because He's ultimately got the greatest hope for you, which only happens through Jesus Christ. This is conflict. God does not, like this was not, Okay, here's five points to deal with all the rocky relationships in your life. God wants you to know the heart of God. He wants you to know His heart so that you can deal with that son, with that brother, with that dad. So whether you're the dad, or whether you're the son, or whether you're the brother, we're all hopeless without Christ. But you have this amazing opportunity to walk home and to be received with the holiness of God that's wrapped around you. To be received and be put shoes on your feet so that you can be on mission. So that you can put, they can put a ring, God can put a ring on your hand and say, he is royalty, he is my son. Why? So that you can sit pretty and be like the older brother? No. So that you can go and you can tell the other brothers that are lost that the Father loves you, the Father hopes for you, and the Father wants to receive you. Because we are ultimately lost. Apart from God, apart from Christ. He's made a way for you to be with Him. And so the way I want to end today is a little bit different. Um, <laughs> I, I believe strongly that when things get rocky, there's an opportunity for beauty. When, when things get rocky... There's an opportunity for beauty. So maybe for you, there's a phone call, an email, a conversation to be had with someone else. But we can't get there with them until you've gotten there with Him. And rest in that. Understand that like your hope in your life is leaned to Him. That intimacy with Him, that relationship with Him is the goal. It is the goal at the end of the rainbow because He's accepted you. You don't have to perform anymore. You get to present and live your life as a presentation, as it says in Romans, to God, to your Father, because your daddy is pleased through what he did on the cross. The wrath has been poured out. The price has been paid so that you can live hope. So I know like at the end of the service, like there's always this opportunity for you to come pray. And we'll for certain 
will be down here in any way that we can pray with you or encourage you and welcome you home. But I'm ending right now. I literally want to end in this celebratory moment that you'd walk out with hope that in any conflict that you have, whether it's here or here, understand that it has to happen here and that God is okay with you because of Jesus Christ. God has made a way for you because of Jesus Christ. You are lost apart from Jesus Christ, but you are now found in Christ. It's His identity in you. So go with full hope. Go with full confidence that Jesus is in your life. Go with full confidence that you can get through any conflict, even if you walk away and they don't receive it. Even if you walk away and they don't see your perspective. Even if you cannot even call that person because they're not here anymore. Rest in the peace. Rest in the comfort that God has accepted you, that God has received you, that God is ultimately a hope for you to let that go, to drop that. And when there is those conflicts that we deal with, bring them to the table. Love them. Show them mercy. Offer forgiveness. And it's this beautiful picture that you welcome them home, that you welcome them into your life. And yes, there's boundaries. And yes, there's firmness of of your life and where it fits and all that. There's wisdom in this sermon that comes with this. But the absolute heart of this is that you would know God's heart, which is ultimately to love, which is ultimately to receive, and ultimately share what He's given to you. So as you go, freedom. As you go, hope. As you go, Celebrate the fact that you were lost and you are now found in the Father's heart. The Father's heart is willing to receive you based on your faith. And maybe for you today is this opportunity, just even in this moment as we end, that you'd pray and that you'd say, Jesus, I'm all in. Take it all. And that's a step, like a first step to this lifelong surrender and this lifelong relationship that God wants to set you free with. He wants to save you. He's done all the work. He's just waiting for you to receive that, for you to trust that, for you to grasp onto that and to live in that. So be encouraged. And as you go, man, go to the table. Come to the table. And let beauty come through even rocky relationships. But don't do it unless you understand today loud and clear, and I think I've said it enough. God's heart is for you. Let me pray for you. And as you go, if you need any prayer, any encouragement, I'll remain up here in front. You can come, you can pray in your seat, you can come up front. But we know that that, this is an opportunity for us to go and to launch out the confidence and the love that the Father has given to us. If you can give to our tithing offering in the back, to that bucket, that would be amazing. Appreciate you so much. If you want to sign up for the street teams, or any, uh, anything at the actual event, you can do so in the back. You can see Alexis back there. If you have any questions, let us know. We pray for you as you stand and as we go. Jesus, thank you that we are set free in you. That we were lost, but now we're found. That we were hopeless, but now we have hope. That we were enslaved, but now we're free. That there was no way, but now we have the way. Now we know the way, which is you, Jesus. That we didn't know what to do, but now you show us what to do. That we were fools, but now we are wise in the heart of the Father. We are set free in you, and now we can be set free, no matter what conflict may come. No matter what comes, we 
rise above. We resurrect our heart to the heart of the Father. Thank you, Jesus. We celebrate you. We praise you. We honor you for all you are. Give it all to you, Jesus. And it's by your name we pray, and then we go, and we live. Amen. Have a great day, church.